0: Welcome to the Servant Leadership Institute podcast. We welcome today our special guest, Bill Driscoll, U.S. Navy ace, former Top Gun instructor, and 20-year professional speaker. Bill's background is extremely interesting, if you can uh, judge by this, 170 combat missions, more than 5,200 jet dogfights, 500 aircraft carrier landings, and five enemy jet fighters shot down in air combat. During the last 27 years, Bill has lectured to all 107 Top Gun graduating classes and sometimes flies F-16s and F-18s in the Top Gun graduation strike. On top of that career, um, Bill is also in commercial real estate quite successfully and perhaps for us, most importantly of all, Bill is an author and servant leader. Bill has written a wonderful book called Peak Performance Under Pressure, and it is a bestseller, I understand. So we welcome Bill today. Bill, it's wonderful to have you here.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Yeah, it's really great. So to get us started, can you tell us a bit about yourself for the audience?
1: Sure. I'm from originally just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and I joined the Navy out of college, uh, the Naval Aviation Flight Program. I want to say there were uh, 86 students uh, starting out of my indoctrination class. I think about 15, 18 of us got our wings about a year and a half later.
0: Wow.
1: Uh, it's a pretty pretty picky program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from that group, I want to say five or six of us got them in uh, jets and several, several of us got them in, in jet fighters. And it's all uh, competition-based. I found when I joined the Navy, I, I didn't know how to swim. So I was on... 20-week sub-swim, and then I was a swim hole for a week, but uh, the, the Navy and uh, Naval Aviation has a great buddy system, and I actually, one of the fellows that worked with me was an Olympic swimmer. Oh, uh, gosh. So once I learned how to relax in the water, it was so easy, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. But it took a little time for me to learn that. <laughs> but after I got my wings, I uh, came out to San Diego. We went through the training, replacement air group training for the F-4 Phantom, and then was assigned to a fighter squadron called VF-96 on board the USS Constellation. That's where we flew the 170 combat missions. So it was um, it was and continues to be a very interesting journey with some remarkable people.
0: Yeah, sounds like it. Now, you had a, a, an interesting, to say the least, experience uh, during your service in Vietnam where you were blindsided by a surface-to-air missile. Can you share that story with us?
1: Certainly. Um, I wouldn't say so much blindsided. We, we just quit paying attention for just a moment. We'd just become mm. aces. We'd shot down three enemy airplanes in this one particular mission. The last enemy plane we shot down had um, a dogfight lasted almost two minutes, and for about the first minute and 50 seconds we were in his gun sight just trying to avoid the bullets as best we could. It was a pretty fierce battle, I have to tell you. He made a, a fatal mistake right at the end of the fight and enabled us to roll back in and shoot him down. We found out later the pilot flying that airplane had 13 American kills. He was the leading ace on the other side. Wow. But we, you know, quit paying attention for a moment. I quit mm-hmm. looking at the radar, quit listening to the radios. I uh, was not looking at the electronic equipment, the electronic counter countermeasures equipment. We were very happy in the cockpit, uh, talking up a storm, me and the fellow I was flying with. And as a result, all of a sudden, bam, we heard this loud explosion. Went, what the heck was that? And. Looked out, and it was oh, a surface okay. to missile that had just gone off just underneath the belly of the airplane. Never would have happened had we been paying attention. Uh, we probably, I'm going to guess, we'd see maybe fifty of them during our combat uh, deployment, and had, had gotten up close and personal maybe twenty of them. Mm-hmm. And, and we had to actually uh, out maneuver them. So, had we been um, aware and paying attention, we would have easily defeated this missile. But. Because we were just flying along straight and level, not paying attention, it, uh, it almost cost us our lives.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What what a lesson. Just paying attention. Or,
1: or, or not dropping focus or getting yourself yeah. Uh, refocused. Yeah. A, a very graphic lesson, indeed.
0: <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Um, how do you feel your Top Gun training prepared you for life after military service? The
1: top Gun training I found um, uh, remarkably applicable. Um, every um, dogfight we had as, as a top gun instructor we'd come back to the ready room and we'd ask the students who we were training to come up to the board and draw out what happened and mm. we want to know who, who won and who lost and they'd draw it out and they'd tell us and then we'd erase the board after we all agreed on who shot who and you know these are these training flights and then we'd put up two words one was the goods and the other was the others
0: <laughs> and
1: we want them to tell us in this particular mission, tell us what the goods were
0: yeah. and, and they
1: tell us and then we would want to know what were the others and generally our my experience has been when the students are telling us this they're they're tough on themselves they they uh, they might have maybe two or three goods and maybe five or six or seven others our job as instructors you know I've often said to the other instructors at one time my job was to train the new Top Gun instructors on how to be Top Gun instructors and I used to always say that it looks like tactics what we're teaching it smells like tactics, it sounds like tactics. Tactics. What we're really teaching is confidence, disguised as tactics, <laughs> and the way we do that is, is this uh, mechanism called the goods and the others. And i found that little technique works beautifully out in the corporate world, where in, you, with your family. You, know, you don't have to tell your, your spouse to hear the goods about you and the others, but just be aware of the facts that, uh, uh, and as, as my wife has <clears throat> often brought to my attention about some of my fighter pilot friends, She'll talked about somebody this, that, the other thing about them, and say, but the goods outweigh the others. Yeah. And as long as we can put ourselves in situations like that, I think it's going to be most helpful for us. Yeah. Well, it's
0: such a better way to communicate but, with people, you know, rather than labeling so. bad.
1: Oh, you that! Good. Believe me, we had a lot of discussion on that, and I, the psyche of a fighter pilot uh, is pretty fragile. fragile. Mm. We just didn't think our our pilots would uh, would warm up to the to the term had, so we felt others was a more appropriate way of c- categorizing it. And one of the things I always said as the instructor trained the other instructors was, don't forget to circle back and restate before you let them go uh, one final time the best of the goods. Mm. Leave them on a positive note.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Excellent stuff. So how did you first learn about servant leadership?
1: Uh, through Mr. Art Barter. Oh, really? And I, I think the world of art, I, I've been handling his real estate for, I think, almost 25 years. And he actually asked me, I think in 2007, to come to a company um, outing that was in Hawaii. And uh, he wanted me to give my talk on how to maximize your peak pressure performance. Mm -hmm. And I met a gentleman there by the name of uh, Pastor Tony Mm Barron and and Art, and they both came up to me afterward and said, you know, you don't call it servant leadership, but you're talking a lot about what we talk about. So, from there, as a there was, that was the prelude, we talked about it in more detail and realized that effective military commanders, effective military uh, senior officers, uh, effective military leaders have very much in common with what uh, um, a skilled servant leader might do. Same mm. same characteristics and same traits. Mm.
0: That's fascinating. Um, so. Along those lines, what similarities do you specifically see with servant leadership philosophies and military philosophies? Because a lot of people think they would be diametrically opposed.
1: You would think so at an initial glance, but for example, when we put our, our teams together, our combat teams, when we pick our Top Gun instructors, we typically get maybe 50 applicants for four or five spots per year we pick our Blue Angel pilots, we typically get get about 45 to 50 applicants, again, for two or three spots. So we have a very uh, interesting selection criteria, and we ask three basic questions. The first question is, can I trust you with my life? Mm -hmm. It all starts from there with the military. The second question is, are you willing to live by and be judged by a higher set of standards than everyone else? Mm -hmm. And the third question is, are you willing to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons, no matter what? Those are the three questions we ask. And one of the things that we focus on with those three questions, you might say, so Bill, what are you talking about there? What I'm talking about is integrity. With it, nothing else matters. Without it, nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. And when we look back at those three questions, can I trust you, and uh, higher standards, and the right thing at the right time, the cornerstone of that is trust. Every relationship, whether it's with a military commander or your spouse or your children or someone at work, starts with trust. So that's the cornerstone from which we yeah. build. Yeah. And I uh, have a very strong feeling that what we do in the military as we put our, our most effective teams together is exactly what corporate America does when they put their teams together and the servant leadership, the servant leader then takes them out to lead them.
0: Yeah. What do you, um, you talk about the importance of trust, which I could not agree more. What happens when trust is broken? How do you rebuild that trust? When trust is broken,
1: that's, um, <clears throat> that's a tough situation, and we guard it uh, very vigilantly because we know you could have a 15 or 20 year uh, career where you've done all the right things at the right time for the right reasons. And if you fall on your sword one time, uh, it's uh, you have to go back and rebuild that so we, uh, we, our, our goal is to not have to go back into the rebuild mm-hmm. mode if we don't have to and if mm-hmm. we follow a few basic things like uh, do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons a higher set of standards than everyone else and, and you live uh, your beliefs with your trust uh, in the people you work with and with yourself and, and with your God however you perceive him to be if you live those standards and you're true to them the whole idea here is so that you won't have to go back and, and do patchwork,
0: because yeah. that's very
1: difficult. Yeah,
0: we talk about that a lot as far as you know, really making those values, your company values, more than just something that's on the wall. Right. And it's amazing, I have found how much easier it is to make decisions when those values are really um, in our day to day. Uh, Circumstances, you know, it makes it so much easier. And if you're following those values, everybody knows the rules of the game, right? It's a whole lot easier to not not break trust when you're all operating the same way.
1: Well, you know, um, we live in a world with three different colors, as I've said. Black, gray, and white. Mm -hmm. White is the right thing. Black is the wrong thing. Everybody knows that. The gray area, though, it gets a little little iffy but just as you said if you're true to your values then when you spot the uh it's easy to spot the the difference between the black and the white the gray well this really isn't good for the customer but I'm going to keep quiet yeah this really isn't good for my teammates but uh, I want the credit for this for myself things like that they happen all the time and if you're true to your values you'll spot them and you'll there's something will Prick that's called our conscience and will let us know maybe this is something that we need to flip the cards face up on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. So how would you describe, um, if you had to describe your leadership style, how would you describe it?
1: I would say uh, my goal goal has always been to lead by example. Mm. When I'm uh, teaching others uh, at Top Gun, for example, I would not want to be able to expect them to do something that I couldn't do first. Yeah. And... The leaders I've gravitated to have been the ones that um, are willing to lead by example. Can I tell you a, a brief story? Sure. There was a um, a very nasty hurricane bearing down on the East Coast about seven or eight years ago, and Washington, D.C. was right in the uh, the, center, the central path mm-hmm. of that hurricane. So we, as a country, have been standing watch at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldiers since 1931. Mm-hmm. That uh, monument is open to the public from 8 a.m. till 3.30 p.m., but we have uh, troops there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, regardless of the weather. Now, with this hurricane, they were forecasting winds of 125 miles an hour, and they were forecasting somewhere in the range of 8 to 10 inches of rain over a period of five to six hours. So one of the senior uh, officers over at the Pentagon called the officer in charge out of the tomb and, and said, uh, Major, there is a, a very... Uh, damaging, dangerous hurricane bearing down on this area of uh, Washington, and I don't want to put the troops in harm's way. I want you to stand down the watch." The Major said, yes, sir, but then he thought about it. He said, you know, I have friends in Iraq and Afghanistan. They are in harm's way. Mm-hmm. I'm here standing watch at a tomb with uh, maybe a little bit of wind and rain might uh, might brew up, but our country's been standing watch here uninterrupted since 1931. So he thought about it a little bit more, and he went out, and he himself stood watch for the next eight hours.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And the message behind that was uh, very simply the leadership principle there was he wasn't going to ask anybody else to do anything that he wasn't willing to do first. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a very effective leadership technique.
0: Yeah, yeah. What a great story that is, definitely. So, Bill, what are the top three things you can do to create a high-performing team?
1: The top three things, you know, I, I often look at the commanding offices of aircraft carriers. And a commanding officer of an aircraft carrier has 5,500 men and women on board the ship. And these men and women work 24 hours a day. Or actually, they, they probably work more. They work, uh, the, the, the whole, everybody's working 24 hours, but mm-hmm. the, sh- the typical shift is 18 hours per day, mm. seven days a week, for three to three and a half weeks straight. Wow. And they work for below minimum wage. Yeah. And the question is, how do the captains of these ships get these men and women to work such long, hard hours for such little pay? And I'll I'll explain to you briefly how they do it. There's three simple questions that they know their sailors are asking them. The first question is, Sir, do you know me? Because if you know me, I'm going to know you. Hmm. The second question is, Sir, do you care about me? Because if you care about me, I'm going to care about you. The third question is, Sir... Are you willing to help me get better? Because if you are, I'm going to get better, and that's going to help you. And when you look at those three, the thing that probably, the one that jumps out, they're all important, but the first among equals is probably that element of care, caring Mm -hmm. for your people. Mm -hmm. And that's the technique. And what the captains of these ships, other than flight operations, they are constantly out on board the ship with the troops. You know, they don't know every name, but they know a surprising number of names, and they're constantly out there talking to them. How's it going? Tell me about your job. What do you need? What would you need to make it better, more effective for you and what you do? Things like that. Where are you from? Uh, Tell me about your family. Those kinds of things. Constantly they do that. They're masters with the uh, people skills.
0: That is really classic servant leadership right there. I mean, you know, to get to know your people, to find out what's really important to them, what makes them tick, then you know how to motivate them that way. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's that's great. So
1: you can see the, the crossover. I mean you see yeah, what, what does military have with servant leadership? Um, the human nature element.
0: Yeah, yeah, the things that are most important to everyone. So what we you know, we, we have a question that we love to ask guests on the podcast. Um, we first asked this question to Peter Malenge from Kenya. I don't know if you've met him. I've recognized the name, yes, ma'am. Yeah. Man. And the question is, what do you think makes a good leader?
1: A good leader, notwithstanding what we talked about, I think one of the fundamental core elements is, as we say, the day you stop wanting to be better is the day you stop being good. Mm. Always looking for ways to make yourself more effective and better at what you do.
0: Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that impressed me so much uh, at a certain leadership conference a couple of years ago, Um, Ken Blanchard was there. And when Ken came in, he came in the back, and he sat down, and he, like, started furiously writing in this notebook. So I thought, that's amazing that through his long career and where he is in his career now and his years, he still is a learner. Right. And that, to me, boy... I would love to be that way. I certainly hope I am as as time goes by because that's a great, great quality. So what advice would you give a leader who's considering starting down a journey to learn about and to use servant leadership as his leadership style? What advice would you have?
1: I would encourage the the potential servant leader to be bold. Mm -hmm. Uh, Don't be afraid of the challenges. Uh, We all sometimes uh, find discomfort with change. And certainly the servant leadership template is is the antithesis or the exact opposite of the the corporate America power model. Mm -hmm. And yet I think um, as we learned in our churches and we learned from our parents, it's in giving that you receive. And if you're willing to give, you'll receive back tenfold.
0: Yeah. So that issue of, you know, a lot of people look at servant leadership and they say, well, you know, it's soft, um, we need to have results, we have to be successful. Um, You talk about achieving peak performance. How do you do that with servant leadership? Well, you
1: know, uh, you may have seen the slide that Art Barter has where he shows what a servant-led company has on their return on cost per year Mm -hmm. and comparing that to what the, uh, uh, the Dow Jones average has returned over the last five and 10 years and what the Fortune 500 companies have returned. And I'm not current with the slide, but it, it, when I saw it the first time, it really jumped out at me. I want to say a servant, maybe uh, of Wall Street the last few years maybe is returning 6 to 8%. Maybe the successful Fortune 500 companies are returning uh, 8 to 10% mm-hmm. per annum, where a servant, uh, servant leadership-led company returning 22 to 24%. It's a dramatic difference. And, and when you look at that, you say, whoa, how did that happen? You scratch a little bit further mm-hmm. and you say, you know the people that are running this organization, they really believe and they put into action that in it's it's in the giving that they're receiving. Yes. Tell me what you want, and I will give it to you because you're going to get back to me tenfold what I need from you.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I you know when when employees know that you know their leadership cares for them, they will you know walk over hot coals if they have to.
1: Right, and 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 conversely, when they know that senior leadership is paying lip service, and they're all about the dollar and pushing the people as hard as they can to get a little more out of them and cut expenses a little more and give you two more hats to wear, now you're wearing five hats instead of three. Yeah. They know that, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, Bill, um, any closing thoughts that you have on leadership that you'd like to share with our audience today? It's Open mic for you.
1: Sure. I would say probably... Uh, the things that we've talked about I think they're all important but if I were to pick the the thing that that resonates with me that's been one of the core elements that's run through my life it's been that uh, the day you stop wanting to be better is the day you stop being good Mm -hmm. and I encourage uh, your listeners whatever their view of of God is as we say no one knows what the future holds for us but we all know who holds the future and he's listening however you perceive him to be he's out there and he'll help you if you ask
0: thank you so much it's been wonderful having you here today and hearing your perspectives and I know I learned a lot as far as the similarities between um, our military and our servant leaders and they are servant leaders and I think it's really fitting that you're here today as we remember Pearl Harbor and it struck me today that a lot of people are forgetting that and so just thank all of our former and present uh, service people who are willing to do what we can't, willing really to protect us. And, uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you. And thank you so much.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode. A quick reminder our 2018 conference is set to be one of the most exciting to date. Shift into Drive, Navigating Servant Leadership, is a theme that promises to deliver a custom roadmap for you to integrate servant leadership into your work. Log on to our website at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com to register. Also, we are excited to announce that our SLI publication, Farmer Able, written by our founder, Art Barter, is now available on audiobook. You can find it on iTunes and Amazon with links on our website. For all of us at SLI, thank you once again for allowing us to add value
0: to your day.